I want to read to you, and I want you to read this with me. Proverbs 29, 18. It says, When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we ask you one simple request. Change us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Change our lives from this day forward. In Jesus' mighty name. If you only agree with that, say amen. 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 You may be seated. If somebody says, how many times can you pray that? Listen, Revelation chapter 21, after everything is pretty much buttoned up, Jesus said, behold, I do a new thing. Did you hear what I just said? In Revelation 21, once everything is pretty much buttoned up, Jesus said, behold, I do a new thing. If Jesus at the end of the age when there's a new heaven and a new earth and all kinds of everything is going to be made new and yet he still says, behold, I do a new thing. How many of you know God is into change? Okay, I'll just go ahead and let you know everything's done and I'm preaching now. All right, so you can join me. I said, when Jesus at the end of the age says, behold, I do a new thing, Jesus is into change. He wants to change us from glory to glory. Precept upon precept, the Bible said, is the way we grow. And until you're dead, you will continue to grow on this side. And it is my conviction that when you make it to the other side, you're going to continue to grow. I believe that with all my heart. I have good biblical evidence, but that's not my message today. So I want to get into this. I want to finish... Well, okay. I want to continue what we started last week. I can't get away from Joshua and Moses. Everywhere I go, the Lord keeps bringing me back to Joshua. I literally tried to preach the last chapter of Joshua today, and the Lord wouldn't let me, and he took me all the way back to Joshua 1 and Joshua 6. So that's where we're going to be really focused on today. But, but I, need you to, I need you to know this, that when, when, when you follow the vision God sets before you, glory will fill your soul. In other words, when you're doing what God has designed you to do, when you're walking in the assignment God has assigned you to, glory will fill your soul. Some people want to go to a conference to get glory. That's That's a great place to find the glory of God. But can I tell you, when you're walking in the assignment, you'll feel the glory of God. One preacher said it this way, you'll feel the breath of God breathe on you. I believe that. I believe that. You see, when we find God's vision, God's assignment for us, His ways are higher than our ways. How many of you know that? His plans are better than our plans. His thoughts towards us are more than our thoughts towards him. Have you ever thought about that? God says, my thoughts towards you are like like the sand on the seashore. God thinks about you a lot. 
You may not think a lot about yourself, but God thinks a lot about you. He thinks a lot about you. His love is deeper than our love. And according to Ephesians chapter 3, and this is a paraphrase, and he is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Look at your neighbor and say, God thinks a lot about you. He does. And he thinks that there is more for you. That this is not done. That we're not at the end. He thinks exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask, think, or imagine. How many of you can imagine a lot? I can imagine a lot. And yet he said he'll do more. That was, that, that's, just, that's just extra as part of this thing. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you for a minute. Okay? Jeremiah 29, 11 says that his plans are to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. Now, back to Moses and Joshua. Moses' generation taught us quite a bit. You say, yeah, how to wander around a desert. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. But Moses' generation teaches us something very important. How doubt, fear, unbelief, and complaining can derail the vision of God for your life. Let me say that again. Moses' generation taught us how doubt, fear, unbelief, and complaining can shortchange and short-circuit the will of God for your life. I don't know about you, if you're a parent or if you've been a parent, I mean, I guess if you are a parent, you already are always a parent. But no matter how old it seems that my kids get, praise God, I've got some older kids that, that get this, but I still have to remind them. I still have to remind them complaining can shortchange what God wants to do in your life. I know it sure does for my relationship with my kids. If I give you something and you complain about it, what is my response? I'll take it back then. Hello? I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it, we've been part of our deal with our kids is we would help them in their first year of college, then they'll have to trust God completely for the rest. I mean, when you have so many kids, you know, you gotta you gotta draw a line somewhere. So so that's why our kids have done so well. So many of them have stepped out in faith so well because they've had to depend on God for their college. The other thing that we said is, we'll help you in this way, especially we'll, we'll provide a vehicle. Now, you may have to share that vehicle, but we'll provide a vehicle for you. Then once you get a decent job, then you can start helping with insurance. But we'll help with that vehicle. Can I tell you, the vehicle hasn't always been a 2,000-whatever. Sometimes it's not even been in the 2,000s. Come on, somebody. But we made sure it was safe. We made sure it was reliable, and we would help them. You know what I found, Wes? Sometimes my kids complained about it. Ooh, not throwing anybody under the bus. I won't name names. But I've had to say, you know what? This is what you have. You can go out and get your own, but this is what I'm providing, and it'll get you from point A to point B. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? I remember, I remember one of my first vehicles. I don't remember the exact year, but it was a Coupe de Ville. Anybody remember those? A caddy. Oh, yeah. I was a Texan. My dad found this thing before it hit the junkyard. Well, I'll just, that tells you enough right there. And, uh, but it, man, I was driving a caddy, right? I was, I was 18 driving a caddy. 
And I remember Cadillac, by the way, for those of you who don't know that lingo. Um, and I was driving this Cadillac, two huge doors, and, and I decided to, to get my friends, and I said, let's go bowling one Saturday. And so we went bowling, and uh, I, I picked them up, of course. I mean, I had the Cadillac, right? And uh, I won't tell you what I had to do to get it driving. But anyway, so, so I'm driving the Cadillac, and, and all of a sudden I start smelling something couple of you have heard this story. I start smelling something, and I'm like, hmm, that doesn't smell good. It smells like somebody maybe is barbecuing, but they're burning the barbecue outside, right? And, and as I'm driving that Cadillac and smelling this smell, all of a sudden, some smoke starts to fill the cabin of the caddy. And then I, I was pulling literally into the drive of the bowling alley, and I put my foot on the brake to slow down, and the brake went all the way to the floor. Praise God, I was only going about 20 miles an hour and I was able to get it over and throw it into park to get stopped as the cabin continued to fill with smoke and we busted out of the doors and we went over into the lawn and as I watched my Cadillac burn to the ground. (laughs) Something happened with the brake line, it separated, caused the fire and burned up the whole car. I didn't drive the caddy after that. (laughs) I've never driven a Cadillac after that. But it was the provision I had for the time. (laughs) I have full coverage insurance from that point on in my entire life. Hallelujah. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. I just wanted to tell you. We have to learn some lessons along the way, and sometimes we learn them the hard way. Sometimes we learn that a good deal really isn't a very good deal. You buy budget, as my father-in-law has taught me. You buy budget, you, or yeah, you buy budget, you get budget, right? You buy a table with three legs, you might spill some spaghetti on the floor. God does not want us to live that way. I'm not saying God wants you to to live with the latest Cadillac, and maybe he does. What I'm trying to say is that that God has so much more for us. And if, if Moses taught us anything, he taught us that complaining and whining and doubt and fear is not a way for a child of God to live. He taught us this lesson. Don't get stuck in the desert between your deliverance and your destiny. Don't get stuck in the desert between your deliverance and your destiny. I got to tell you, God had planned for the people of God to go through the desert. But it is calculated that the desert should have taken them about 17 days. How many of you know it would have been hot in the desert? It would have been rough in the desert. There would have been some supplies that would have been dwindling in the desert. But 17 days compared to 40 years sounds like nothing. But because of all of that, they got stuck in that desert. And I want to encourage you today, I don't want you to be stuck in the desert. As Joni and I have learned over the years, we don't want to keep going around the same mountain. We want to learn the lesson to go to the next one. We want to learn the lesson so we can go to the next one. Look at Joshua chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. I spent a lot of time on that scripture last week, and if you were not here, I encourage you to go to our website, newdaydfw.com, and listen to that message. It's an important message, not only for people, but it's an important message for our church. But three times in a very few verses... God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Three times. Be strong and courageous. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong and courageous. Now, why would you tell somebody three times in the matter of about two minutes, be strong and courageous unless you knew something was coming that they needed to be strong and courageous for? Then God added to that, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You see, God knew something that Joshua didn't. He knew what was coming ahead of him. And Joshua listened to God. And he took courage. And he recognized something is ahead. But it begs the question, if God was giving them every place, right? Every single place where you set your foot, I'm giving to you. As I promised Moses, if he said, I'm giving you every place, why was he telling him to be courageous? Here's why. Because taking the promised land would be good, but it wouldn't be easy. You see, nothing good ever comes easy. Anybody ever found that to be true? Where are all the mamas in the house? Come on, mamas, raise your hand. Babies are good, aren't they? My wife loves babies. She sees Jonathan. She sees his post online, and then she calls him, and he talks about every Thursday how they go to the orphanages, and my wife's immediate response is, I'm getting on a plane. I want to go hold some babies, right? (laughs) And what does Jonathan say? Of course, he's a mama's boy. Yes, if you're watching, you heard me say that. He says, come on, mama. You can hold as many babies as you want. But how many of you know, to get to those babies, she's got to get on a plane. And to get on that plane, it's going to take somewhere between 24 and 35 hours of plane rides to get there. Nothing good ever comes easy. Moms know this. Those babies are beautiful and they're so cuddly and they're so smelly good and, and most of the time. And they're also, you know, just cute. But how many of you know that baby didn't come easy? There was pain, there was turmoil, there was nine months of discomfort, to say the least, to bring that baby into the world. Home builders know this to be true. My dad was a home builder. Nothing good ever comes easy. Man, that home is beautiful, and man, it's got a fireplace, and it's got this, it's got carpet, it's got tile, but home builders, carpenters in the room, those in the construction industry know that it's good, but it doesn't come easy. Not a good house, at least. Single men. No wives are good, but they don't come easy. Depends on how much their daddy spoiled them. Oh, God help Emily. Future husband. She's here today, just not here, so she didn't hear that. 
World Series champs, no. Super Bowl champs, no. Well, no, they don't know. But World Series <laughs> champs, no. Victory is good, but it doesn't come easy. Why do we think when we walk in this walk with God that victory is going to come easy? Why do we think? Well, we say, oh, but God, we're saying it about it. God is good. He fights the battles. Yes, he does. But he still expects us to have a sword in our hands. He still expects us to have our armor on. He still expects us to have our shield of faith up. He still expects us to be equipped for the battle. He has won the war, but we still got some battles to fight. You see, some think, but pastor, you don't understand. If I had the provision I needed, it would come easy. If I had all the provision, here's the thing. Provision and promise are not always synonymous. You hear me? Provision and promise are not always synonymous. In the desert, watch this. In the desert, the Israelites, Moses' generation, had all the provision they needed. Get this, church. Just because you have provision doesn't mean the promise is fulfilled. Just because God drops some money in your lap doesn't mean, oh, it's over, no more struggle. Sometimes that's where the struggle begins. To do what God has told us to do. So in the desert they had provision, but they didn't lay hold of the promise. But in the promised land, the provision that they had ceased. You know what the Bible says? It says on the very day they entered the promised land, the manna ceased. The quail ceased. You know what they had to do? They had to go get their provision now. They had to go fight the battles. They had to go plant the crops. They had to go and do the things that they needed to do to gain the promise. Taking hold of the promise won't be easy, but it'll be good. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about the first major obstacle that Joshua and his compatriots had to come against. And of course, you know that to be what, church? It's Jericho. It was the first major roadblock. Jericho was not easy, and it wasn't on this inexperienced army's level. (laughs) Jericho was a difficult obstacle, and it was also their first major test of devotion. I'm not preaching on this, but I just want to reference it, what Joni said earlier about first fruits. Did you know that this is the only city where God said, all of it belongs to me? He said, touch none of the devoted things. In other words, all of this first city belongs to me. There were 31 more battles. There were 31 more kings to conquer. 31 more cities to conquer after Jericho. And all of those, God said, you can take the gold, you can take the silver, you can take the cattle, you can take whatever's there in the city, but not Jericho. It's the first and it's mine. How many of you know this is not just an Old Testament principle, but it goes all the way through? The first is mine. The first is mine. And he said to them, you must take it. Then that's where we go into the second battle when they lost men because somebody had taken some of the devoted things. But that's not the message today. 
But it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because of the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Then if we go back a chapter, in chapter 5, verse 1, When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. Do you remember what I preached last week? Do you remember how that the Israelites were afraid to go in because of the greatness of their enemy? But how now the people were actually afraid of the Israelites. They lost heart, all of them. You see, the enemy was afraid of them because they were afraid of him. Did you catch it? Can I go back? Yeah. Did you catch it? It says... They were afraid of them. Why? Because they crossed the Jordan. Because of their God who helped them cross the Jordan. The Jordan was at flood stage. We know that. And yet it dried up. They knew. They knew they had a big God on their side. And they were afraid. So the enemy was afraid of them, the Israelites, because they were afraid of him who dried up the Jordan. The Lord was with them And they knew it. I want to tell you today, the enemy knows that God is with you. Look at this pastor right now. Stop being afraid of the enemy. Stop being afraid of what goes bump in the night. Stop being afraid of what the enemy can do. Because the enemy knows that God is with you. He is afraid of you. Have you not read what Jesus did to the demons in the man and in the garrisons? Have you not read about what Jesus did to the man when he threw the demons into the pigs? The Bible says that the town came out and they were afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave. <laughs> they were asking the wrong people to leave. But why the demons in those townspeople were afraid of what Jesus was going to do to them? Because they said, if he can do this to that guy, what's he going to do to our sin? What's he going to do to our personal demons that we like hanging around? The church of Jesus Christ is the greatest force on the planet. If I could say it in terms that we understand, the church is the world's superpower. Some of you should be shouting me down right now. I said the church of Jesus Christ is the world's superpower, the only world's superpower. Why? Not because we're so great, not because we're so trained, but because of the God who lives inside of us. Our God is with us. Romans 8, 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us we got to stop walking around with our heads down we got to stop walking around going just uh, the devil's been beating up on me so much lady pastor i just don't know what's going on the devil's just beating up on me well why don't you put the beat down on him he's afraid that's why he takes us out every chance he can get The Bible says, don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body. 
Put your fear and trust in the one who can throw your soul into hell. Don't misplace your fear. Just had time for that. Let's keep going. Joshua's generation did not have an unhealthy, self-centric view. Like, oh, we're so great. They had a healthy, God-centric view. You see, true courage does not come from believing that you have it all together. This, this is something that Christians deal with. They're like, well, you know, I, sh- I, sh- I, sh- I should be humble and meek and mild. Yes, we should. I understand that. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. But what that does is we come out of that place with the Lord recognizing who He is inside of us and who we are in Him. If we come out just all groveling on the ground, that's not how God has designed us. He's designed us as an army. He's designed us to, to go with confidence into the harvest fields and take the harvest. He's designed us to walk into the enemy's camp and take what the enemy has stolen. Come on. This is who God has told us we are. And they understood that. Even without Christ, they understood that. They understood God was with them and that this big wall ahead of them was not too hard for God. Jericho was big, but their God was bigger. Here's something I say. Stop telling God how big your obstacles are and start telling your obstacles how big your God is. Oh, God, I just don't know if you can handle this one. This, this is the funny one. I, I, you think that this is just preacher talk. I've actually had people tell me this. I don't, I, don't, I don't give God my problems. He's got too many problems already. What? I, so, hey, let's pray about this. No, 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 I don't want to bother God. Because he's got enough on his plate. I've actually had people tell me this. And I say, you must serve a really small God. You must serve a God who is not infinite. You must serve a God who is not omnipresent. You must serve a God who is not omnipotent. Because my God is all-powerful. My God is everywhere. My God can take care of my stuff and all the rest of the world's stuff at the same time. If he couldn't, he wouldn't be God. At least not a God I want to serve. So give God your obstacles, but stop complaining about how big they are as if they're too big for him. He created the universe. He spoke it into existence. Your problem is not too big for God. Somebody say amen to that. You see, as... As God began to give Joshua the first plan, have you noticed this? In in Joshua chapters 1 through 6, as as he tells them what to do, and they cross the Jordan, then he says, okay, circumcise yourself. Then prepare yourselves because Jericho is ahead. Joshua sends out two spies. You notice that? He didn't send out 12. (laughs) He knew better. He just sent out two, and he told them exactly what to do. He said, do not go in there and come back with a bad report. Go in there. I just need to know what's going on in the city. That's all. So he did that, and they came back. And that's how Rahab was saved. Rahab is in the line of Jesus. Praise God. So here, he gave him the plan as he needed the plan. 
God gave Joshua the plan as he needed the plan. Have you ever noticed, nowhere that I can find, when he was given him the plan, he lay out the exact plan for every city he was about to face. Don't you wish he would do that? Don't you just wish that when you get saved, somebody would hand you a notebook and said, oh, by the way, I'm a prophet as well, and here's your notebook for your life. Follow this and all will be good. Instead, they hand you a Bible. (laughs) And you go... These are great stories, but what about my life? Some of the advice I was ever given as a new believer. Follow the known will of God, and the unwill of God will be revealed in time. Follow the known will of God, and the unknown will of God will be revealed in time. You see, God gave Joshua everything he needed for that moment. Like... It's like he expects that we be willing to step out in faith on the path that he has revealed and trust him for the path that he hasn't. This is the way I imagine this. When I was preparing, I, I just I saw, and forgive me for those of you who didn't grow up in the north, I didn't either, but I got to spend four glorious years there. And, and right now the north has been experiencing quite a bit of that white powdery stuff that falls from the sky No, not hail. I'm talking about snow. Yes, snow. Anybody ever seen snow? Being a little tongue-in-cheek. If if you've never seen snow, imagine sand. Because if you haven't seen snow, I know you've seen sand. But I imagine it as if there's a man and his child, and they're walking up a snow-covered hill, and the child is following behind, and trying to keep up, but the snow is so deep, he's having to to step in. And where is he stepping, people? He's stepping in his father's footsteps. But the father goes over the hill and is no longer seen. Does the child stop, fall on the ground, and start crying? Well, maybe. But if he's a smart child, what does he do? He keeps following in the footsteps. I can't see what's ahead. I don't know what's over the next hill. I was hoping that that he would lay it all out for me, but all I know is i got to trust him. Galatians says, keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we do, people of God. If we're Spirit-filled people, we got to understand that's how we've got to live. There's no other way but to keep in step with the Spirit. Joshua chapter 6, three verses says, So Joshua sent him none, summoned the priests, and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Seven priests bearing seven ram's horn trumpets shall be in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Advance and march around the city. Let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests bearing seven ram's horns trumpets before the Lord advanced and blew their trumpets. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went after them. I want to break this down as we close. Joshua spoke. Say spoke. The word there, the Hebrew word is amar or amar. A-M-A-R. It means to say, to answer, to speak, to promise, and command. 
This word is the same exact word. The first time this word is ever mentioned in the Hebrew Bible is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God, Amar, let there be light. And there was light. Guess when the next time is? It's as he continues to create the universe, he uses the word Amar. And God, Amar, let there be light. Let plants. And then finally, man. As he spoke and commanded the world into existence, he spoke with authority. Can I tell you, Joshua didn't just come and say, Hey guys, I think I got a revelation from God. I'm not quite sure. I don't want to freak anybody out or you know, make anybody uncomfortable. But I think maybe, maybe God wants us to uh, walk around this wall for seven days, first six days, one time. And if you want to, if the priest, if you could kind of get in place and, you know, if you want to bring your, your shofars along with you, can you imagine, Josh, would you follow a leader like that? Would you be like, I ain't following him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet as believers, many times we walk around like, ah, I just don't know. You are filled with the spirit of the living God. You have God living on the inside of you. Speak the word God has given you. Speak it with authority. Let the authority of the word of God be behind you as you speak the word. As you move forward, don't look at this mountain. Don't look at this obstacle. Don't look at these walls as if they're impenetrable. Recognize if God has told you to break through those walls, then those walls are coming down. Speak with authority. Look at your neighbor and say, speak with authority. Speak the word. Then it says, the seven priests that were assigned grabbed their ram's horn. Joe West. Come on. Y'all are quick. That's why I called you. No, don't blow them. They grabbed their ram's horns because that's what he told them to do. Why? Because that's what God told him. Joshua commanded them to carry them, and he assigned those seven priests. I need you to hear this. Priests like these men right here. What were priests? They were the bridge between heaven and humanity. They were the bridge between heaven and humanity. They were the representatives of men to God and God to men. That's why they were put out front. Now, there were an armed guard, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But you need to understand, these individuals were there to intercede to offer sacrifices and to keep worship and the word flowing in the community. They were there to make sure that the word of God went forth, that worship continued continually. Even when they were traveling around from place to place, they always set everything up and made sure that worship continued before God. They were there to minister to the Lord through worship. I want you to know this. Priesthood is your first calling. This, I, don't, I don't know why we don't preach this more. I know I try to preach it as much as I can. But we are the priesthood of believers. You're a royal priesthood. Did you know that? It's your first calling. You are a priest in the line of Aaron. In the line of Aaron. In the line of Jesus. You are a priest. 
That's what the New Testament calls you. The royal priesthood. And when we go to battle, before we can go against those walls, before we can go into our community, before we can face those giants, we have to understand that our first calling is to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Every once in a while, I'll mix it up and I'll put worship at the end of a service. But do you know why we do worship at the beginning? Because first things first, we've got to minister to the Lord. Yeah. Hear me, church. I know sometimes this bothers people. But one of the reasons why there's times we linger in the presence of God is not because we want to extend things and make you late for lunch. One of the reasons we do this is because we feel the prompting of the Lord. It's our highest calling to minister to the Lord. The New Living Translation says that the priests were marching in the presence of God. They were marching in the presence of God. Hmm. You see, these priests weren't just out there blowing their horns. They were in the presence. The anointing was so strong on them as they went ahead and as they blew their ram's horns, their shofars. Moses understood this, and in Exodus 33, he said, The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses understood, even in that time, that the presence of God was the delineating factor of the people of God. Look at me, people. It is not our buildings. It is not our worship services. It is not our fellowship times. It is nothing of that that delineates us from every other religion of the world. It is the pure and unadulterated presence of God that separates us. If we don't have the presence, we do nothing. I don't want to do anything without the presence of God. When we fellowship together, I want the presence of God in the house. When we come together to worship, I want the presence of God in the house. When we go out onto the streets, I want the presence of God. And these priests knew this. They knew they needed the presence of God to walk around these walls. And they weren't going up without the presence. So here it is. Y'all been standing. Thank you so much. Stay there. Here's what it was. Why were the armed guard there? Can you just come over here, Joe? Yeah, y'all come together. Yeah, right like that. There you go, because you're walking around a wall. You're following each other. As they were going, there was an armed guard before them. Come here, David. I saw you. Just act like you got a big old sword on you. That's right. Turn around. They had an armed guard before them, then the Ark of the Covenant behind them, then another armed guard behind them. Let me tell you something. God was not worried about the presence or about the ark in and of itself. What were the armed guard there for? The armed guard there were to protect the priest from oil being thrown down on them, from stuff being thrown down on them, from somebody rogue coming out and trying to take them out. Why? Because he knew that the priest needed to be there giving the Lord praise, ministering to the Lord, leading them on. Can I tell you what is the next thing? We need to protect the presence of God in our lives. Why do I think you don't need alcohol? Why do I think you don't need drugs? Why do I think you don't need a bunch of secular music in your life? Because I'm a holiness preacher? No! 
Because it affects the presence of God in our lives. Amen. If we're constantly filling our lives with the stuff of the world, the presence of God is pushed out. So like an armed guard, I want you to say, I'm going to protect the presence of God in my life. I'm going to protect the presence of God in my family. I'm going to protect the presence of God in this church. Yeah. we got to protect the presence of God. You say, the presence of God needs protecting? <laughs> God doesn't need protecting. But we need to keep the stuff out that's trying to encroach its way in to the presence of God and take place. Take the place that, thank you guys. I can just put them down. Now there were various calls. I'm closing, I promise. There were various calls and I don't have my my shofar blower here with me. Bill is in England. He loaded a plane yesterday with his lovely wife and they went to England to see his daughter and his new granddaughter. But Bill can play this thing. Chad's the other one. Those guys can play this thing. But there's something I know about the shofar and that is there were various calls. Do you know the shofar is very unique to the Jewish culture? that there have been other religions and other cultures that have adopted it, but it was the Jewish people who first used the shofar, the ram's horn, as an instrument. It was primarily used as a call to pray, as a call to assemble, a call to war, a call to worship, and a call to victory. What I believe that these priests were doing as they were blowing, what was their call? They were already at war. <laughs> they were already prayed up. They had already assembled the people. What were they doing? You know what they were doing? They were calling the victory sound. They were calling the victory sound. This is where we understand there's times we got to praise before our breakthrough is seen. They were already declaring, the victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. On day two, the victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. On day three, the victory, you get it, right? Do you know about day six? If you've ever seen Veggie Tales, you know that this must be true. (laughs) That the people on the wall started making fun of them. We don't have a biblical account of that, but, but I can imagine it. After six days, and they're like, this is their strategy? To go around blowing horns? Do they really think this is going to scare us? I mean, we can put three chariots wide on the top of our wall. We've got a massive army. They were probably putting pressure on the king. What are you doing? Let's not build a wall. Let's go down on the other side of the wall. Never mind, bad joke. Anyway, let's go after them. Let's go for it. Look at them. They're just going around playing their little horns. Sometimes the enemy will mock you. But can I tell you, it's just words. It's just words. Keep praising. Keep praising. The breakthrough is around the corner. If he already defeated death, hell, and the grave, don't you think that your wall can fall? I get it all the time, and I understand I've been in in turmoil. I've been in times. I remember uh, uh, being in a little ball in 2006, 
curled up as the creditors are calling and they're saying, you must fly and get on a plane in the next three days and join us in court because we're suing you because you haven't paid up on this bill. And I said, Lord, you called me to come to Texas and plant a church. What am I doing here? And I'll be ever forever indebted to my mother-in-law who called me on the phone and said, the Holy Spirit told me to call. What's going on? And as I cried to her and said, oh, we can't pay this. It's too much. I don't know what we're going to do. Why don't we come to Texas? Why don't we leave our job? Why, did we, why, 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 why? And she said, be quiet. And she began to pray. And as that little woman began to pray, the power of God made her a giant in prayer. And I began to literally, physically uncurl. And I began to stand up and say, no, God did not call us here to fail us. He hasn't failed us yet. Why would he fail us now? And courage and faith begin to rise up in me. Sometimes you got to borrow somebody else's faith until your faith rises up. Come on, somebody. And I'll be willing to do that for you. But one of the things I'm going to tell you is you can't live like that the rest of your life. You've got to gain your own faith at some point. You've got to be able to stand up and you've got to begin to shout the victory. And I can tell you time and time again when my wife and I and our children have shouted the victory even before we saw the victory come about. And then in two days, in two days the Lord answered our cry and the bill was completely paid off. Over $12,000. Boom, done no airplane ticket no court appearance we planted new day church and we're still standing today it's time to praise it's time to praise one more last thing i promise i told you there was the armed guard there was the priest what came next church remember the armed guard the priest What came next? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. You see, the Ark of the Covenant held so much, and I'm going to preach an entire series just on that. So I don't want to go too much into what was in it, but it was the covenant of God. It was the mercy seat. It was the place where the presence of God literally hovered above the mercy seat. Like almost like a, I can't even describe it because I don't know, but the, the best I can think of is, is, is like a blue fireball coming down from heaven. And when the Holy of Holies was there, they would come in and the priest would see it. And there was, there was a physical manifestation of God above the mercy seat. Can you imagine carrying that box? How many of you know you don't want to be careless about carrying that box? So they didn't just have anybody. They had more priests, Wes, that carried that box. And as they were carrying the presence of God, as they were carrying the physical manifestation of God, as they were carrying the new covenant that God had given them, they were carrying it around. The enemy saw it. You know, it's not bad for the enemy or the world to see the physical manifestation of God. Why are we so afraid of the physical manifestation of God? Why are we so afraid if somebody falls down or somebody laughs or somebody cries or somebody gets healed? Why are we so afraid of that? These dudes were carrying the physical manifestation of God around, hovering above this box, and the enemy saw it. I think it struck fear in them. And they thought, they who has the ark has the advantage. That's why later we find the Philistines getting the ark. 
stealing the ark. Remember that whole story? You know what the Philistines found out? (laughs) The Philistines found out that if you try to set up God in another temple, he's going to knock your little God down into a thousand pieces. First he'll take his hands and then he'll take his head, right? That's the story. That's another story. But they understood that the, that the Israelites had something that was unique. They didn't understand, but they looked at it as a weapon. The Philistines tried to manipulate the God of the universe to their advantage, and it didn't work. And here the Israelites were carrying it, and here's the connection between them and us. Signs and wonders are for the advancement of the gospel, not for our personal gain. Signs and wonders are for the advancement of the gospel, not for our personal gain. Mark 16 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. As the ark of the covenant followed the believers that were the priests, So signs and wonders follow them that believe. The physical manifestation of God through the believers are signs and wonders. You see, there are always going to be Jerichos and obstacles in our way anytime we want to do something great for God. But as I heard Irwin McManus, and I can't quote him because I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something like this. Fame is when it's all about you. Greatness is when it's all about others. Fame is when it's all about you. Greatness is when it's all about others. I'll say it this way too. Fortune is when it's all about you. Wealth is when it's about others. I consider you to be wealthy when you are willing to bring others up. Hello? And as I reminded you last week, I want to remind you today, there may be Jerichos in our way, but there are Rahabs to be rescued. There are Rahabs to be rescued. And even in the great destruction, one of the things that archaeologists have found is they have found Jericho. And they have found, much like the Bible describes amazingly, that it seems like the walls, and they've rebuilt those walls multiple times. The Bible says anybody who rebuilds them, they'll die. And it's through archaeology, they have found every single person who rebuilt the walls of Jericho, they're done. So they've had to dig way down. But they have found what seems to be walls that have gone straight into the ground. Except for one wall. Can you guess which wall? I believe it was Rahab's house. And those have tried to say, ah, see, God didn't knock down all the walls. No, he didn't knock down Rahab's wall. He made sure that she got out and her family with her. Would you stand to your feet? If I could, I would blow this shofar, but it would not be pretty or nice. So I'm not going to do that. I want one simple thing. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, is there still another vision? Is there still another assignment for me?
Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me today? Is there still another assignment for me? Maybe you're in this place and you are nearing retirement or you are retired. And the world tells you, sit back, take it easy. You've earned it. And I would agree, you have. Your gray hairs, you've earned them. You have wisdom, though, to be shared. And I would encourage you, you have wisdom to share with the younger generations that need it so desperately. Don't just sit on the golf course letting that wisdom go to a golf ball. Go play golf. But take someone younger with you and impart wisdom to them. That's for somebody in this room right now. Maybe you're in this place and you say, I'm just getting started in life. And I do have dreams and visions. I just don't know what the next step is then that's what your next step is. God, what is my next step? Would you reveal the next step to me? But until you reveal it, I'm going to do the known will of God. I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to seek the face of God. I'm going to love others as you have loved me. I'm going to give. I'm going to be obedient. God, I'm going to do those things until you reveal the next step. And be faithful in that. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you, God has given you assignments. And it's time to begin to walk those out. And you've been allowing the walls and the obstacles of this life to get in your way. It's time to praise. It's time to worship. It's time to speak a life and speak authority Speak the word and tell those walls they got to fall. There is nothing too hard for God. Jesus.